previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. The nice part about taking over a program that has not won a game in, in two years is that if you believe in yourself and you make a plan and you stick to that, then there's nowhere to go but up. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. We're back for episode 59 of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. During her time on the Stephen Decatur High School girls basketball team, Dayana Godwin played a key role on a squad that won two Bayside South Divisional titles while also earning the Conference's Player of the Year award as a sophomore in a very competitive league. Following her tenure playing at the Berlin, Maryland High School, where she also eclipsed the 2,000-point mark, she continued her hardwood career at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, making the team as a walk-on player. In this episode, Godwin discusses a variety of topics, including what it's like playing in the competitive Bayside South, the challenges of transitioning from high school to college basketball, some of her toughest opponents on the court at both the prep and college levels. Diana will also share how Kobe Bryant had an influence on her style of play, her post-college aspirations, and how the COVID-19 outbreak ended UMES's fairytale run for the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference women's basketball title and a potential spot in the NCAA women's tournament in her final season. And now, my interview with Dayona Godwin. My guest is someone that a lot of people who live on the Eastern Shore will know about her high school basketball prowess and people who've been able to attend a lot of the games at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore have seen her as well. My guest is Dayona Godwin, who has a pretty big resume of what she's been able to do on the court. And I'm glad you're able to be a part of this interview. And thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. When I have these guests on, it's rare to have Division One athletes, especially active Division One right. athletes, and you are probably one of the most recent ones that I've been able to have on. Looking at the experience, I know you were heading into your senior season playing at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Before we go and talk about your time at Stephen Decatur, that is, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about UMES, what your expectations were heading into this season and all in all, what led to your decision to choose UMES? To answer your first question, going into the season, we had lost a lot of seniors last year. Some seniors that uh, led our team, we were coming off of a our best MEAC performance that as long as I've been there and the most wins that our coach, I think, has uh, witnessed. So it was going to be uh, not a tough turnaround, but it was going to be a work in progress to just see how we would come back after such a great season that we had. So me personally, I was coming in just trying to be the best person, best leader I could be and best teammate I could be to help the younger people that the freshmen, the underclassmen, so they could develop and we could keep this program running the way it was uh, left off by our seniors. And then to answer your second question, leaving my uh, high school career, going to a Division One program. Um, I was a walk-on and earned the academic scholarship. I knew I could play at that level, but just being able to have that experience and just actually doing it day in and day out, going to practices day in and day out, was a blessing, a blessing in disguise. I met some amazing people, some amazing experiences, and I just had fun while I was doing it, um, playing the game that I love. I've been playing since I was four years old. So it was just a dream come true to just play the highest level of college basketball, and I must say I enjoyed every minute of it. To you, what do you feel was the biggest 
draw of being a walk-on? What do you feel like you were able to do to impress Coach Batchelor and his staff? Well, he always told me he knew that I could put the ball in the basket, and that's one thing that he wanted me to do there. He just wanted me to be myself, and he talked about my characteristics that I had as a player and had as a person, and he wanted me to display that in the program to just show and become the leader that I did become. Did you feel as being a walk-on that that led to a bit of a challenge that there might have been a chance that you might not have made the team? And what was the competition like for for the walk-ons? Uh, I never thought I wasn't going to make a team. Um, when I had the meeting with them, it was during my senior year, a couple of weeks before I graduated. And we talked and he just told me, basically, I was on the team. It was just the fact of how much time I was going to play and if I was going to play or not. And I felt like I worked really hard. And that freshman year, I actually earned rookie of the year on my team. So everything worked out and I was just blessed to have the opportunity. When it came to taking the court, especially as a freshman at UMES, what would you say was maybe the sort of biggest challenge you had going from high school to the college level? The biggest challenge I had, um, just basically adjusting, realizing I'm not going to be, I guess, that star on the team anymore. And it wasn't a big adjustment at all. It was just adjusting to what I will become. I had some great teammates helping me adjust from I guess the lower shore to the faster me at gameplay, the game speed changed dramatically. It was a lot of up and down. Everyone's athletic. Everyone basically has the same skill set. So I was just basically going around a group of girls that basically were like me, but on their team. So it was a good adjustment. What is your most memorable game as a UMES basketball player? What stood out and how did it remain in your memory? My most memorable game, uh, I will say team-wise, my most memorable game was my first homecoming game. Just seeing just everyone coming back and just basically celebrating us and just celebrating everyone just being back on, the alumni being back on campus and just just seeing how many people were there. Just the atmosphere was amazing. Um, it was just an experience within itself. So that was, and then leading on to that, every homecoming game, I was used to it. But you can never get used to it because of just how the the experience it was. And then my most memorable game, personally, myself, would probably have to be, I have two. It's a game we actually lost and a game we won. And they both were um, against Morgan. Uh, Kobe Bryant was my idol. And the day after he passed away, we played Morgan. And I started off the game really bad, just like really in my head. And then the fourth quarter, we were down. And I just kind of just locked in, like a like mama mentality, locked in and just scored like eight points back to back to back to back. And it was just, I was out there, but like my mind was just everywhere else because I had just lost my idol. We ended up losing, but me personally, I felt like that was one of my best games. And then uh, we played Morgan at Morgan. We ended up winning that game. It was pretty tough. We were losing, and it was like back and forth, back and forth, and we had pulled away, and I had a pretty good game there as well. So that was three of my most memorable games and moments there. Getting back to homecoming, I know that's something, and being being UMES alum as well, we always know that mm -hmm. going, looking around the campus during homecoming week and during those homecoming games, it feels so different than it normally would on a, on a daily basis. Right. To you, how energetic is that crowd when it comes to homecoming time? And and does it just take you to another level? 
the energy is amazing. Uh, bleachers are pulled out on both sides and then on each end of the baselines. And everyone's there. It's packed with just amazing fans and amazing contributors and just rooting on us. And we've been, I've been blessed to win three, three out of four of my homecoming games there. So it's been pretty, pretty amazing atmospheres there. And I loved every minute of it. I remember covering a game there. I think it was probably uh, maybe 2012 or so. But I remember mm-hmm. at one point, UMES was struggling. I don't even remember who they were playing. All I remember, they were wearing gray Maryland State jerseys. And right. all of a sudden, you would start hearing the crowd singing. It was a lot of older ladies started singing. Um, I don't know what song it was, but all of a sudden, they started singing. And UMES just started surging and started uh, mm-hmm. catching fire. And it was just such a crazy thing because I think they pulled out that game and right. I feel like when you have, I wouldn't want to say like the ghost of UMES, but more like uh, right. UMES past there, it sort right. of just bonds everybody and everybody just sort of gets in the spirit of it. Yes. It's basically like you're, you're not really playing for yourself, but you're just playing for everyone that's there. Just basically thanking them for everything they've done for our university, whether they made contributions or whether they just come to support. So it's basically just thanking them for everything they do and everything they continue to do for the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. Also, you mentioned Kobe Bryant a little bit. Uh, yes. I know that had to be huge, 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 devastating news when you heard about it. How did he get you into basketball? For sure. Um, four-year-old little girl. Uh, my dad's a big-time Lakers fan, and just that's basically how we really honestly bond through sports and He's sitting there looking at uh, Lakers games, and I'm sitting there looking at Lakers games with them. And then one particular person stands out, and it's Kobe Bryant. And even though I'm a woman, it's just you just want to be like him. You see what he does. You see how hard he works. And you just want to mimic everything he does. And growing up, that has been someone I had idolized because it's just the mentality he has, just the work ethic. He never wants to lose. He's just going to give you 110% every time he steps on the court. And that's what I wanted to do every time I stepped on the court, whether it was practicing, work ethic by myself, or whether it was on a game, and then just challenging his teammates. I feel like I had done that in the past, just challenging my teammates just to get them to be the best that they can be because that's just what he did, and I wanted to be like him. I wanted to do everything like him, so he meant everything to me. And just losing him hurt me because, I mean, it's my last year, and it's just like, it's like full circle. You started with them and then he passed away and it's like, wow, she just finished her career. And I always feel like, especially we're having this whole discussion between who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, LeBron. Do you feel that Kobe gets lost right. in that discussion? For sure. Uh, anyone can ask me and everyone knows my answer. Kobe Bryant is my goat. No LeBron, no MJ. Kobe Bryant is my goat. And I'm still a big time Lakers fan to this day. So I'm glad to have LeBron on my team. No matter how many more rings he wins, Kobe Bryant will always and forever be my goat. So it's just that that's how passionate I am about him. And it's crazy. And I think about that, the, the, the goat list, there's a whole bunch of people, not even just Jordan and LeBron that are in there. And I right. mean, in that discussion, there's Will Chamberlain, there's Bill Russell, because honestly, when you have 11 rings, rings <laughs> That right. right there gives you a reason to say that, even though some people will say, well, he was like the Ben Wallace of his era, except he could actually score. Right. But 
And then you look at Kareem, I, and I've been on that debate. I'm like, Kareem, honestly, was probably the better college basketball player than all all of them. And all of them, yeah. Uh, yeah. Had a rule named for him that basically prevented you couldn't dunk. You couldn't even dunk in the NCAA. He only did right. that in three years, couldn't play as a freshman. And then um, I know everybody will say, play with a lot of all-stars. Look what he did without Magic. He still won a ring without Magic, one with Oscar Robertson. But, I mean, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys in the debate as well. And I know that's something that is divided maybe along age lines. And I'm only 37. And I had to look back and watch some of Kareem's stuff because I know I grew up watching Jordan. And I was able to watch right. LeBron and Kobe. And that's why I think that there's a whole bunch of other guys. I mean, and everybody can say Wilt too, because the man averaged 50 points one season, scored a hundred in the game. And no right. one will ever do that. It doesn't matter how lax the, the <laughs> rules are offensively. I don't even think Harden will ever sniff 70 uh, in my mind. So, I mean, I think right now there's a whole bunch of people that you can use to debate. And I know, I think sometimes it falls along generational lines or just sort of, I guess the amount of exposure people have had to those players. Right. Have you been able to watch The Last Dance so far? Yes, I did. Last Sunday, I did watch the first few episodes. And it's kind of sucks because you have to wait a week just to get the next two. So I'm definitely going to be tuned in. Yeah, it's crazy. I think this is all coming up at a time, especially, like you said, with Kobe's death. And, of course, LeBron slowly making a charge at Kareem's scoring title. And all of a sudden, interesting that Michael Jordan is sort of back into uh, public thought right now. Right. Moving back to your time playing at Stephen Decatur, what were expectations, especially going in as a freshman on the varsity? Um, I really didn't have high expectations. I knew what I was capable of, but I really didn't have like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that until about my sophomore year. So um, we didn't really have like, you know, a lot of schools around here uh, have like middle school teams. The only thing I was able to do was play AAU basketball. So I was excited to go to high school because, like I said, we didn't really have the middle school teams. But just going in my freshman year, um, I just wanted to kind of just make a name for myself. Like I said, I knew what I was capable of, but I didn't really have high expectations. And then I just kept going on with my career, and it just went on from there. What's your most memorable highlight at Decatur? I mean, I know you could probably split it up over all four years, but were right. there any particular moments that stood out to you? Maybe, maybe one each year? Um... Okay, uh, my freshman year, I was able to make the, I don't, my myself and my dad was having this discussion. I don't know if I made first team or second team. I think it was second team my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, what stood out to me was I was a base high player of the year. So that was a big jump from either if I was second team to base high player of the year. That was one of my best seasons. And then my junior year, I got my thousand points. And yeah, I got my thousand points in my senior year. Uh, I got the all-time leading record there for on the women's side, and and I also got two thousand points. And then team-wise, we were able to win the uh, Bayside championship my last two years there. So it was some great times at Decatur, and I'll always cherish those moments there as well. That seems like a huge offensive jump, especially going from the 1,000 to 2,000 so quickly. What yes. could you contribute to that? And uh, what did you feel like you were able to do from from that jump from 1,000 points to 2,000 points so well? Um, I just locked in. Um, my dad always picked on me because I kept telling him I don't think I was going to be able to do it. I don't know. I don't know why I didn't believe in myself, but he was like, you're going to be able to do it. And I actually got it, the Bayside title game, my senior year. 
So I still had a couple more games left after that. We had playoffs, and we actually played three games into the playoffs. So I finished with 2,081. So I kind of surpassed it with some more points to go on top of that. But I didn't realize I was going to be able to get 2,000 points after only getting my 1,000 points my junior year. But it happened. So I'm grateful for that. I know some people, it all depends, end up keeping track of their stats. Did you sort of consciously keep track of where you were at pace-wise or? No, I didn't. I, that's what I said. Like, my dad kept telling me that I was going to be able to get it. Um, the managers normally kept track of my points. The manager would come to me sometimes and be like, um, you had so-and-so or you did this tonight or you are this many points away from getting your 1,000 or just you're this many points away from getting your getting the all-time leading record, uh, all-time scoring record. So it was always, like, kind of in the back of my head because I was constantly constantly being reminded of it. But all I wanted to do was honestly just help my team win and kind of hang bangers, bang, banners at Decatur because that's honestly what I wanted to do there. How would you best describe yourself as a basketball player if you were doing a scouting report of yourself? Hmm. Um, I'm someone who can attack the basket, find her teammates, while also being able to hit the open jump shot whether it's three or mid-range. So I will say all around um, this past year at uh, UMES, I definitely picked up my uh, defensive side of basketball, of basketball and I was able to do up better than what I was able to do previous years. But if I would bring myself, that's what I would say. Someone who can attack and finish, someone who's powerful and strong and can hit the, who can find her teammates and hit the open jump shot. How tall are you at the moment? I know that everybody keeps growing. <laughs> so my bio, it says I'm 5'5", five five, but according to the doctors, I'm 5'3". Right on the cusp of 5'4". It's pretty interesting. It's just sort of that huge difference. But to you, do you feel like, especially you mentioned be able to attack the basket and be able to mm-hmm. hit your jump shots. Do you feel something like the mid-range shot is starting to disappear in basketball? I know a lot of people... The, the change in the game, it's either becoming three-pointers, bombs away, or, right. uh, you know. Or a dunk, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think the mid-range is a lost art. Like I said, Kobe is my idol, and he was a master at mid-range, mid-range fadeaway, mid-range. Just that was what he basically focused on. And then you got guys coming in like Steph Curry and then Klay Thompson. So they changed the game forever where everyone wants to just shoot threes, shoot threes, shoot threes, and – and that seems to be what the NBA has transi- transitioned to. So I definitely think the mid-range is a lost art. Then you have guys like Kawhi Leonard, who who's also a mid-range killer. So it's some guys that keep it in their arsenal, but definitely the game has definitely transitioned to a three-point league. It's weird, as we talked about Kareem a little earlier, it's weird. I don't think you see a lot of people mm-hmm. do hook shots anymore either. And I feel like that's something right. that takes a lot of work to practice. Mm-hmm. Again, looking at your run playing at UMES, this run heading into it, you guys were starting to catch fire heading into the MEAC tournament, and we're on a great run until the unfortunate outbreak of COVID-19 started, shutting down all the sports uh, nationwide. Going into the MEAC tournament, what was the mindset of the team, and uh, how did you guys continue to stay so hot? It was crazy because we started the season horrible. We started the season off so bad, uh, I don't even know what our losing streak was. And then, like I said, that Morgan game, 
everything just clicked and we were just since then we were just winning 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 and we just started to find our stride and then we were so hot going into the tournament that we were like we can honestly do this so things were lining up we won and then we knocked off the number one team in the MEAC which was Bethune Cookman who had knocked us off two times in the previous years and so we played that Tuesday we played that Wednesday we were off that Thursday which was when everything kind of shut down so we were going to play that Friday so that Thursday, we were watching our potential matchup, which was between North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central. So Central had actually ended up beating North Carolina A&T, and A&T was the higher seed. So this was like, this can honestly be our year. So we were kind of pumped about that. And then I started getting notifications that other conferences had uh, canceled their tournament. And I was like, it's only a matter of time before MEAC cancels their tournament. So... It was like a roller coaster of emotions because we were just so excited of the week we had just had. And then the last couple of games we had just had, we were just so excited and just so hot, just ready to make history at University of Maryland Eastern Shore because no one has won a MEAC championship there. And then for COVID-19 to hit, it was just like, wow, what could have been? So that's all you can honestly think of now. We're still on group chats talking about, like, we could have a MEAC championship right now or... Like a couple of days ago, uh, this is supposed to be our championship game, or it was just, um, it's just like I said, it's a roller coaster of emotions. You're just kind of just going with the flow and riding this thing out. Was there complete confidence that you guys could win it all? Oh, for sure. We, like I said, we still talk about that now. Um, if, like I said, uh, we had we we were hot. We were we had. I don't know what our winning streak was at the point. Maybe five or six games. But we everything was clicking like the we were talking on defense. It was just the connection between us. The bond between us was getting stronger and stronger. And it was honestly hitting at the right time because you don't want to peak too early. And we were just peaking at the right time at the end during the tournament. So for fact, I think we would have won a me at championship. Yeah. Looking at your stats, you guys had won one, two, three, four, five in a row. Yes, yeah, five games against, against Bethune-Cookman. And it all started with a 68-53 uh, to 53 win against Delaware State. How do you best describe the competition level in the MEAC? I know it's easy for people to think, oh, it's the MEAC. It's not one of the elite mm-hmm. conferences. But how would you best describe the play and the competition level that goes on in the MEAC conference? Uh, I would say the MEAC is not the tallest for sure. But I would honestly say the MEAC is one of the most athletic conferences in in the world, it's like straight dogs. It's like the, it's like the people who got overlooked. So they go to like the MEAC schools, and everyone's hungry to like prove themselves because they feel like where they are, they should be, I guess, at like a higher school or a better school. So everyone's just not like head head hunting each other, just just to prove themselves that we are who we know we can be. And I think the MEAC conference, like I said, is one of the most athletic conferences in the league. And uh, one of the most athletic conferences in the world. I had always heard, and I and I just think about the men's side that the MEAC is considered more of a guards league. Is is that true, especially yes. on the women's side? Yes, because everyone like you rarely see like a six three, a six two uh, post. You have like forts, uh, power forts, or like five seven, five eight. Where if you go to like a power five school, a five eight player is like a a guard. Or you might have a six-foot guard. So it's like 
it definitely is more guard heavy. But like I said, we have some some guards. I feel like you have to have a lot of heart. You can't be soft in the yet because they're going to chump you off for sure. So you got to have a lot of heart. You have to have a lot of grit. And you just got to be ready to work day in and day out. Who was the toughest player you faced in high school? And who was the toughest player you faced in college? Ooh, that's a really good question. Okay, so the toughest player I faced in high school. I wouldn't even say it was basically a player, but the team I liked facing the most would have to be Mardella just because of how stacked they were my last three years and just how dominant they were. Um, I just always loved playing them. It was always, like I said, it was always, the crowd was always into it. Uh, I remember my sophomore year, I think that's when that team had formed. I think they were undefeated and we had beat them and um, our fans had like rushed the court. So that was, that's one of my most memorable games at Decatur as well. And then I would say the toughest player I had to go against in college, it would actually have to be one of my teammates. You know, you go against them every day in practice. And it would have to be a girl named like, Regine Martin. She was about my height, and she was a straight dog, like, giving 110% on offense, defense, nonstop motor. So going against her every day definitely made me better. I know that, especially covering you guys in high school, the best way to, I guess, compare Mardella was, like, a LeBron joining Miami. <laughs> but Right, yeah. If Mardella were the Heat, what team would you compare Pokemon to then? If Mardella was the Heat... Pokemon was under us, so we would have to be higher than Pokemon. So Pokemon would definitely would have to be. I would have to say the San Antonio first. They had a great coach, rest in peace, Miss Gladden, and then they had some great pieces around it. They had a dominant player, so I call it Baby Shack. Danaja Christian would be like the Tim Duncan, so, and then they had great pieces surrounding them. So it was basically like a system. That's like a good comparison to me. And then. You didn't really ask us, but I was about to ask. I wasn't sure <laughs> if you guys are going to say like the Celtics or uh, the, the KG Celtics or. I would have to say the Lakers, 2010 Lakers. I had a lot of players on my team who didn't really play basketball. They were lacrosse players. They were other sport athletes. So when you look at the 2010 Lakers, you have Kobe and then you have Powell, but then you have a lot of. A lot of guys who do the dirty work and you have like a Derek Fisher, you have like a Lamar Odom, where it's like those guys mean just as much as the main guys. So I will compare us to the Lakers. I will compare them to the Spurs. And like you said, uh, Mardella would be like the Heat or someone. Who was your Ron Artest on your team? Our Ron Artest. Allie Beck for sure. You could throw her on anyone and she's going to DM up. She might not talk as much trash, but she's going to be in your face all game for sure. Was there a huge transition conditioning-wise, especially going from eight-minute quarters to 10-minute quarters in the college level? Oh, yes, for sure. My freshman year was actually the first year they actually went to quarters in women's college basketball. They uh, had halves at first. So it was a transition for a lot of not just myself, but for my coach as well, just how he manages the game and when the call time out, says someone's had foul trouble. So it was a big adjustment for myself not only myself, but me and my team as well. What did you end up choosing as a major at UMES and why? I'm actually a, uh, I'm a criminal justice major. 
My last year as a Decatur, uh, I attended tech school in Worcester County, and I actually took up tech there. So I wanted to continue with that and transition it over to getting my bachelor's in criminal justice. What are you hoping to do? Going to uh, being a lawyer, going to uh, law enforcement, or? So I actually, last summer, I actually did an internship with DNR, uh, Department of Natural Resources, with the police. And that was pretty fun. I always loved the water and just being on boats and stuff. Going to get my master's after those years, and I'm actually going to join the Coast Guard Reserve, and then I'm going to go from there. Were there any interesting things that you were able to experience on your internship that sort of uh, made it even more of a reaffirmation that, yes, law enforcement is what I, I'm, I'm interested in? Overall, it was just an amazing experience. I actually was working with the Ocean City Police Department before that, and I had the opportunity to uh, do an internship with DNR, like I said. I was like, you know what, I'm going to make this switch. And that was one of the best things I did last year for me and myself, just learning how much authority they have, like any other officer or any other police officer. They have the most authority in the state of Maryland because they control the waters, they control the land, as in the gun laws, the fishing laws, any laws. And then they also have the authority to be able to pull someone over. And it was just an amazing experience just to learn as much as I learned last year. Were there any thoughts of playing internationally or taking the opportunity of playing maybe in Europe or playing locally? <laughs> oh, no. Um, I always knew since I entered high school that I wanted to play basketball, play basketball in uh, college for free, didn't want to pay anything. And then after I finished that, I was going to be done. How are they doing commencement services at Yumi, especially with uh, COVID-19? So at first they had said that graduation, well, the commencement would be uh, canceled. And that kind of broke my heart because, you know, you work four years and everyone wants to walk the stage because you just, it's like a celebration for yourself, not only yourself, but for your family. So that kind of hurt me because I wanted my family to be there just to see me and honor them for sticking by me and supporting me through these four years and three years in front of that, whether it was my elementary, whether it was middle school, whether it was high school, just supporting me. And then they said uh, that it would be postponed after all this was passed by. So I was very excited about that, very excited to hear that. And that's still going to happen. But uh, May 15th would have been the day I would have had my commencement. And they're still going to do a virtual graduation, but we're also going to have an in-person commencement. So I'm pretty excited about that. May 15th, that May 15th in 2005, that was 15 years to the day. That <laughs> yeah. was when I graduated UMES. Oh, wow. Any thoughts of maybe coaching rec ball, coaching high school ball <laughs> at all in the future? That's, that is another great question because I was literally used to talking to my dad about that last night. Um, I don't see myself doing that anytime soon, but of course I'm going to miss the game and I'm going to want to get back to being around it on a daily basis. So it could possibly happen, whether it's coaching or whether it's training. Um, I can see myself being around there for sure or doing something around those lines. To you, what do you hope that your legacy on the court will be? People will best remember you for. Uh, High school would definitely have to be for them to remember me by uh, my character on and off the court for sure and some one of the best basketball players on the women's and men's side to actually walk those halls communicator um i take that honor like very seriously because so many people have told me that um whether it's my former principal mrs zimmer 
who's telling me how he's proud of me and how he's just commends the type of character I am and the type of leader I am. And just, like I said, he's just very proud of me. And then I guess on the college side would just have to be just the person that I've developed from coming in to being a young a young lady to being one of the players that the younger players looked up to and just being that leader and transitioning into that leader. I always was told that I'm fit to be in a leader position. So that's always a great compliment to have. And I, when it's all said and done, I want people to remember me by that. It's just how I stand out and how much of a leader I am. What was an average day like, especially during basketball season? So my freshman year, we had a uh, study hall. So I will give you that until what it would be now. So freshman year, we have practice at 6 o'clock. So I would have to wake up at 5, have practice from 6 to 8. Then we will have, uh, we will have weights uh, from 8 to about 9. Then I will have to have class. So I may have, on a typical day, I might have three or four classes which on Mondays are only uh, 50 minutes long. So then you have to go to the cafe, you have to eat, and then you have study hall, you have to have 10 hours of study hall a week. So you have to fit your study hall hours in there. On top of having a social life and just being able to be mentally sane, so just trying to space everything out. And I would typically go to sleep around maybe 11, 11, 30, 12. That's my freshman year just trying to get used to it just trying to plan my day out my senior year don't have study hall anymore so still have practice at six so waking up at five weightlifting after practice don't have as many classes i'm into my major electives now so maybe have two classes a day one class a day so i have more time to myself more of a social life just making memories it's your last year putting extra work in of course um getting better and so I probably go to sleep. I'm used to everything now, so I can manage my time. But I still go to sleep a little later. So it was, typically I go to sleep around 12, 12, 31, because I have some time to go to sleep during the day. So that was the transition from that, just being able to split my time up wisely and just getting used to the daily schedule of being a, a college athlete. How beneficial was it to have that consistency of Coach Batchelor and his staff? I know, of course, we look at the men's side there. They've had turnover for a while. I can remember when I started mm-hmm. as a reporter that they've been on at least uh, four or five coaches. But since I was there, Coach Batchelor has been there ever since I was probably working at the paper. Right. How important is it to have that consistency with Coach Batchelor? It's very important. Um, actually, my freshman year, I had different assistant coaches. And I'm still close with them to this day. But then you have a familiar face like uh, Coach Casey Morin, who's from around this area, who attended Mardella. So I'm pretty familiar with her. And then you bring in a guy named Coach Sidney Rakes, who's like the hard, put-your-foot-down type of assistant coach. But once you get to know him off the court, he's very lovable, just wants the best for his players. And then we had our grad assistant, Mia Root. And she was pretty younger, so she could relate to us. And then she could also relate to coaches because, like I said, she was a grad coach. So it was very beneficial for us to have uh, consistency with the coaching because it's not like we were changing our systems or what we would be doing. So it's not like I was going into the new year thinking what was going to happen. It was just basically, okay, this is how we're going to do this. This is what we've been doing. And like I said, basically getting the younger players coming in, letting them know what was going to be going on moving forward. 
did you play any other sports in high school in addition to basketball or was it just just basketball so my junior year i actually played softball uh, I like that. Um, it was pretty good. And then my senior year, I actually did track and field. I actually filled it. And I honestly wish I did that all four years because I got first in regionals in 3A, which is pretty good for it being my first year. I did shot put. And then at state, I qualified and got fourth. So for it to be my first year doing shot put, and then for it to be 3A, which is one of the bigger schools in Maryland, was really a shocker because I didn't really have any expectations doing that well. And I was always pretty strong, so a lot of people had always said, maybe I should try it out. And I actually enjoyed it, so I got a chance to just see what I could do, and I surprised myself along the way. Did you think about doing it? You only asked. I know it's crazy seeing some people do multiple sports in college, but mm-hmm. did that ever cross your mind as well, walking on maybe at you ask? It did cross my mind, uh, but I knew that basketball took so much of my time. And if you were going to be dedicated, you had to be full force, both feet in, and you couldn't have one foot in and one foot out. So if you wanted to be dedicated and committed, I was going to choose basketball for sure. As we start to wrap this up, I do appreciate you being on the interview. And I know we've oh, been no trying sure. to work this out for a little bit, but what would you say to maybe someone who's had interest of trying to play basketball at the Division One level. I know it was no easy feat, and you were able to accomplish that. What would be the best piece of advice you would give someone playing Division One basketball? Um, I would definitely say I'm a very religious type of person, so making this decision, I never wanted to be close to home, but uh, Coach Bachelor mentioned something to me during along the process that kind of stuck out from all the other coaches. He said, if God wants you to be here, you're going to be here. And that stuck out to me because, like I said, I'm very religious. And I was like, I think this is confirmation saying that God wants me to be here. And I'm pretty happy with the decision I made. Um, so I want to say, if you're religious, keep God in the mix. Find the best possible option where you know that's going to be good for yourself and good for the opportunity that you may want to do and choose. Um and just, like I said, be yourself, whether it's on the court or on the court. Never be influenced by your outsiders' decisions or the moves that they make. Just constantly be yourself because at the end of the day, all you have is yourself while you're there. And it's your experience, so you got to make the best of it. I know a lot of people say you don't try to look for signs when it happens. You just let it happen. But when coach right. doctors say that? Did you feel that was the sign you were looking for? Oh, yes, for sure. Like I said, I never had any, never had any intentions of staying home. Didn't want to be home, honestly. But when he says that and God is in the mix, it was the only option I had to take. What were some of the other schools that you looked at before deciding on your list? Um, I had a couple of uh, JUCOs that were interested in me, a few D3s. Um, and then I had a school called Mount Olive which is in South Carolina, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I don't actually remember. Uh, I took a visit there, and I uh, enjoyed the campus. It's a private school, but like I said, chose UMES ultimately, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. What does that say, especially being able to play for the local school? And I know that I look at, from my experience watching it on the men's side, that the men's team didn't really recruit as heavily locally as the women's team has right. you and, and Casey and, and a few others, I believe have that opportunity to play at UMES. Uh, what does that say about being able right. to play at home? It means a lot. Um, I'm very close to both my parents. So uh, they were at every home game and some away games. They were 
there to experience with me. And I'm very grateful for that. Home cooked meals, not as much as I wanted, but it's like I can meet my parents whenever they cook and just meet them at Shorebird Stadium. We had our, that was like our little meeting spot where we mutually could meet. So it was like a blessing in disguise. Um, I'm very family oriented and just having the support there, game in and game out. I actually broke my ankle my sophomore year and they were still at every home game supporting me and my teammates. So that means a lot. What was the rehab like uh, recovering from that ankle injury? Uh, it was very tough. Um, just pushed me beyond my limits. Uh, something that definitely challenged me, not only physically, but mentally, just challenging me and growing and developing as a young lady and as a young woman, realizing that everything is not always going to go my way. So when that happened to me, it was kind of like a, downer but then when you look at it i just gained so much confidence within myself and realized different things that i never really knew i had in myself so it was definitely a blessing in disguise i also wanted to congratulate godwin and the university of maryland eastern shores class of 2020 as they were able to have their virtual commencement ceremony and hope that they get the true graduation experience that they worked so hard for in the near future if you like this interview let us know your thoughts by leaving us a comment or by subscribing if you think someone you know might like this episode, don't forget to share. As always, you can listen to previous episodes of the Sports Refuge anywhere podcasts are heard, including Apple, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Podbean, and more. Next time, my guests will be Andre Watson and Linwood Outlaw returning for a group interview to discuss their trips to WrestleMania. Topics of discussion include what goes into planning the logistics for attending an event the size of WrestleMania, as well as their plans for attending WrestleMania in Los Angeles in 2021. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening, be safe, and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.